sometimes by having the accent, people assume things. They assume that you're not smart enough. I didn't feel a sense of belonging in this country for so many years. If you don't take care of yourself and you don't listen to your body, your body is going to force you to take an inconvenient break. In a Happy New Year. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 19 of Stories That Connect Us. Today we're chatting with Anna. Anna Gaynor is a bilingual career strategist. She helps achievers go from overwhelmed to empowered so they can build confidence, set boundaries, manage self-care and thrive in a healthy work environment. Men lie and women lie, but our body tells the truth. Anna's story reminds us how important it is to advocate for ourselves. Self-advocacy literally saved her life. Before we get into today's episode, there's something that you can do to help. When you finish listening, hit that subscribe or follow button. Okay, let's meet our next guest. Hey, Anna, delighted to have you on Stories That Connect Us. I am so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Nikki. You are so welcome. I can feel the joy and elation in your voice, and we're recording on the 30th of December, which is also known as Twixmas. Hadn't heard of that name before, but it's apparently the time between Christmas and New Year. So how are you doing? I'm doing well. This has been an amazing year. So I'm, you know, here chatting with you and, and yeah, let's let's have a blast here. Cause yeah, it's, it's, it, 2022 has been an amazing year for me. So I'm, I'm really happy. Definitely want to hear more about that. I'm intrigued now. So Anna, today, We'll be delving into your health story, the journey of your of, of aspects of your health and how self-advocacy has essentially saved your life. Now, that may sound pretty extreme to anyone listening right now, but stay tuned and you will see that this is no exaggeration. So you're speaking to me today from the US, but you grew up in South America. And let's start, if we can, the conversation by going back to your time in Brazil. What was life like growing up? What kind of child were you, Ana? Sure. So, yes, I grew up in Brazil. Um, I grew up in a very humble household. I was a shy child. Um, and, you know, I, I live in a small home. And I've always been, you know, intrigued by communication and especially the English language. The U.S. always had a huge influence in Brazil. So I was, you know, in the tiny living room, just like dancing and trying to, you know, <laughs> sing in English. Um, so I always had the desire to one day become bilingual or, you know, even come to the United States. But I was really shy and I was, you know, not the type of child that would lead. I was more of a follower. I was always, you know, playing outside with other kids, but their ideas and their wishes were always, you know, above my own. So if they wanted to play something, even though I didn't want to play what they wanted to play, I would say yes. Just so I was a very agreeable person. And, you know, that's where the, the whole selfless thing started. So, yeah, growing up in Brazil, you know, I did not have a lot of opportunities. I went to 
public school my whole life and my parents did not have any money. So I did not have opportunities to do any sort of extracurricular classes or anything. So basically I would go to school and come home and just play outside with other kids, but not, and, and I was very um, curious and I had this learning mindset. I was always trying to find ways to learn. I would go to the library, you know, in, in my school and I get books and try to learn different things. So when I was around nine to 10 years old, I asked my mom uh, as a birthday gift for a bilingual dictionary because I wanted to learn English. But of course, I didn't have money to go to a school. I basically taught myself, you know, the first couple, you know, words and basic English with a dictionary. And at that time, I, I, you know, I was around 12. I became kind of like, you know, my friends wanted to know what some words would mean. And I would tell them because I had the, the, the bilingual dictionary and I was really inclined into learning. So I would try to translate things from Portuguese or English into Portuguese. And yeah, it, it's that's kind of how I planted that little seed of becoming a bilingual person. It was through that dictionary and the desire to learn English on my own. And, and I've, you know, I've I did for many years. The only time that I was actually able to pay for education was when I were, when around the time I was in college and I went to college for free in Brazil. I didn't have to pay. And at that time, I was already working. I started working. I was full-time corporate jobs. I was a teenager. And at that time was the time when I could, you know, really afford language school and actually learn English before I came to the U.S., so really, you you touched on a couple of things there. One, this kind of selflessness and this uh, agreeableness that you described, that you were willing to go along to yeah. get along, and that being a key hallmark of your character early on. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you also spoke about really being somebody that curious, wanting to work hard and willing to put the work in, but somebody who struggled to assert herself early on how did this show up yeah so by being a high achiever that right there like for me whenever you give me a task it's going to get done you don't need to worry about it because this is how I am like it doesn't matter if I need to work you know 50 60 hours a week I know you need something from me so I'll get it done for you so for me, like there's a lot of that you know thinking about being reliable and selfless kind of you know, in the past, you would go hand in hand in my brain, meaning if you need something from me or if you want to do something, I'll say yes and I'll go and I'll play along. So the workplace, as I said, I started working. I was a teenager and I would say yes to everything. I remember like coming home and, and crying because I couldn't stand up for myself at work. Like um, my first job, I was a receptionist. I had to answer phones and people were angry and they would say things to me and I, I couldn't do anything. I would just come home and cry. Like I could not stand up for myself. Uh, my managers would tell me to do 1 million different things and I would say yes and agree with everything instead of stating my opinion or, you know, I had my own ideas of how we could do something better, but I was always afraid of 
saying my opinion, telling my opinion or telling how we could do something better. So where do you think that stemmed from? Because you said that you had your own ideas, you had ways in your Mm -hmm. mind to do things differently, but you didn't feel that you could say it or that you could stand up for yourself when somebody was speaking to you in a rude inappropriate way yeah that that's from from my upbringing um and the way you know i was raised is to it wasn't a giver household meaning you always put people's wishes above your own so you know at work it's like listen to your boss listen to your manager and and that old school idea and i'll say this because it's an old school thought process that your manager knows what's best for you. So in my, I, I didn't have like, oh, whatever they want me to do, I'll do it. Like they know what's best for me or they, you know, it, it's it's giving somebody else a charge, putting somebody else in charge of your career. So that stemmed from my upbringing and the people, you know, that I, I was surrounding myself with, like we all had these ideas that work hard, you know, the only way, to get a promotion or to achieve things in life is to work really hard to hustle when, you know, and, and that was my life in Brazil. That was my mindset. And then I brought all of that, the selfless, the, the agreeableness and the idea of hustle to the United States. And that that's when things got tricky. <laughs> Okay, say more. Tell me how they got tricky uh, when you landed in the States and you entered corporate America. Entering corporate America was really challenging for me. Um, I already had six and a half years, almost seven years of work experience in Brazil. So it wasn't like I knew what I was doing. I knew how to be a professional. But the U.S. market was a different beast meaning I had to change who I was to fit in. I, you know, I remember people saying all sorts of things to me, like change your hair and, you know, maybe even like add a double N to your name or all these different things to make me fit in. So whenever somebody would read my resume, they wouldn't, you know, have bias or think about different things. So it was really challenging. I had to learn everything on my own. I did not have a coach, a mentor. I couldn't afford anything. I was a student trying to get my first job in the U.S. And I also learned all these different things that people say, like in order to get a promotion, you know, you have to work really hard. That's the only way in the U.S. So I played along. Like I tried my best, you know, to network, to find a job. And when I got a job, that was even more that this this uh, limiting belief, these ideas that you had to be selfless and say yes to everything and take on these heavy workloads, I thought that was the only way. So I did it. It's almost as if there's this rule book and mm-hmm. it isn't available. Like everybody doesn't even know where to purchase it from. They just have to figure it out on their own. And I guess if everybody else around you was saying, you need to work hard, you need to, I think I heard you say, add an extra N to your name so that it's Anna with two N's. Was What was the reason for that? Well, that that's, you know, just kind of trying to find ways. This was, you know, back in the day, just kind of 
Oh, um, it's it's basically like you need to fit into what corporate wants, which means you straight your hair because I have curly hair, and maybe you change your name because uh, in the U.S. and with uh, you know double N, that's kind of the standard. Let's put that way. And you know, and 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 I, I you know, a couple of years in you know the corporate um, world, I got married, so I had uh, I have a German last name, but my first name, you know, it, it's not really the American spelling. So it's just like these little things that you hear from different people, and because you don't know better, right? No, like you said, there's no rule book. Nobody tells you how to navigate these things, especially hard because. I'm a first generation, you know, in, in, in college, like my parents barely, you know, finished middle and high school. So they were, you know, they were not in corporate jobs. They never had a corporate job. So when I came to the U.S., it was 10 times harder for me because I didn't know anyone. I did not have somebody telling me how to navigate corporate in the U.S. And I didn't have any family member to kind of teach me how to navigate all of this. I knew a little bit. Yeah, I knew a little bit in Brazil because that's what I've done there. But I also had to learn those pieces there. But in the U.S. was quite different because it was pretty much the loud voices in the room are going to be the ones, you know, speaking in meetings, getting the best projects, getting the promotions, all these different things. And for me, I was always being the quiet person taking on extra work, not speaking up in meetings. So it was really challenging. I can hear that. And I know when we spoke previously, you know, you were saying, and, and you've even mentioned it again now in terms of trying to fit in, trying to be the standard fighting to be somebody and I guess I I really want to dig into why do you think you felt you had to be someone else why wasn't being you enough well there are many many reasons and I'll I'll try not to tear up here when I talk about this this is about belonging right it's like everywhere like I went in this country you know a couple years ago was the I have an accent and sometimes by having the accent, people assume things. They assume that you're not smart enough. They assume that you're not capable of doing things. It's just like all the bias that comes from people, you know, speaking a second language, having an accent, looking a certain way, dressing a certain way, showing up a certain way, meaning you know, I wasn't this or that, I didn't show up with expensive brands, you know, to a job interview and all these different things. So it was like, there there was a lot of bias. And the, when I learned about the word belonging, it was a couple of years ago through Brené Brown's work. That was like, that's still the word that it's so close to my heart because I didn't feel a sense of belonging in this country for so many years. So I, I think this desire to be somebody was always ingrained because everywhere I went, people would look down on me. It was really, really hard to navigate that in the corporate world. Thank you for being willing to open up about this. And, and you said that you were trying not to tear up and, and that's okay. And, and I think that belonging is something that every single one of us needs to feel that they belong. And when they don't, as, as you were describing, Anna, we try and fit in. 
But then one day, hopefully we learn that actually the best thing that we can do is to stand out as who we are. And I know that you're going to get on to how you feel about that now, but I really appreciate you being willing to be vulnerable. Um, if I may use that word yeah. to describe how, how you felt and, and why you were trying to be somebody else. I'm sure there's many of our listeners that can resonate with many aspects of what you've just described. So I really want to move on to, I guess, that the main part of our conversation and all of your experience in the prior years of where you were being agreeable, doing what other people said, people pleasing, um, really not wanting to share your own ideas potentially all of that experience of realizing that that didn't help you eventually allowed you to see that actually if I want to make a change in my life if I need to do something I need to do it I'd love to now get to the point in your story where you realized there was something wrong with your body Mm -hmm. but and you spoke about it but you were not listened to so you were in the United States tell me more a little bit about that time Sure. So I've been working, like I said, since I was a teenager. So, you know, full time, nonstop and just taking all the workload and, you know, working extra hours, just saying yes to everything, picking up the slack for people when they left the company or when they were on vacation and doing the best job I could do. So being on this, you know, high stress fight or flight all the time due to heavy workloads and keeping things to yourself, right? Because that also takes a toll on the body. I I was really like, I felt like I was on the verge of a breakdown. But at that time, it's like I started having like these mild pains around my chest. And I thought, you know, it's just from exercise because I was trying to, you know, get some exercise or Sometimes it's even like the stress, the burnout that, that gives you like chest pains and you feel like, oh, it's just because, you know, I'm just stressed out at the moment. So I thought that was just normal. So for about eight months, this pain would come and go. And I just thought it was normal. It was just this, this fight or flight state all the time, right? Until one day, I I don't know, I just have this this moment that I look myself in the mirror and I was like, I need to do something about this. Like I can't continue this way. Like, and and I remember at the time I had a lot going on, a lot of projects coming my way. I just thought like, I need to figure this out. So I called my primary care physician with somebody I would go, you know, once a year and you know, you're healthy. Everything is good, right? Your, your lab results are all good. <laughs> Everything is good. And I told her, I was like, I'm having this pain for about eight months. And, you know, it, but it's always like because of your age, because you're not in the age to get, you know, mammograms, there's always that hesitation, like, oh, I don't think you need anything. It might just be from stress. But then I kind of, I kind of fought back. And I said, I really think I need to get this checked out. 
then you know my primary care physician send you know information to insurance or you know whoever the process works but then they didn't they didn't allow me to get a mammogram because of my age because in the united states the system is very complex and unless you know there is you are in the age to get a mammogram then you can and insurance is going to cover in my case, I didn't want to cover. So I had to call multiple places. And that's where the advocacy for the health started. The advocacy for work started a little early, but the advocacy for the health started right there. Because for the first time, I really had to navigate this system in ways that I never thought I I had to do before, which I had to call insurance. I had to speak with multiple people, explain the situation. And they pretty much told me, like, we're not going to cover. So I learned the amount and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, you know, out of pocket. And then I went for the exam and they found something. But the doctor at this place said, oh, you know, because of your age is nothing. Don't worry about it. And I remember that was Halloween 2019. So I came home. And I was just giving out candy, you know, for the children. It, it was all happy. It was all good because, you know, they gave me a sense that everything was okay. You know, the mammogram, like because of my age, I didn't have anything. So then a couple of days later, they said, you know what, let's just do a biopsy just because I think it's just procedure protocol. That's what they had to do. Seven days later, I found out that I had breast cancer and that was my word that was a life-changing moment for me like because the entire time basically i i was i was okay because everybody was saying no because of your age you, you are okay it's nothing you know and and then that's when insurance really decides to actually do something right because then it's like oh now we have a diagnosis so that that was a life-changing moment for me you felt there was something wrong mm -hmm. and you felt there was something wrong for eight months, but you didn't act on it for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that's coming up for me is that our body always tells us the truth. It tells us what we need, but we often almost convince ourselves that what we're thinking is the case is not the case. Mm -hmm. uh, not only for this particular situation that you're talking about now, but you eventually listened to your body you advocated yourself you took yourself to the people that should be able to help you but they initially said to you no it's fine and you essentially said you know what no I'm going to make phone calls and really stand up for myself so even when they said we can't cover you you found another route you were like okay well if you can't cover me on the insurance I'm gonna pay for this out of pocket yeah. I mean, that right there is, that is sticking up for yourself. That is finding another path. That is trusting in your body. That is believing in your intuition, whichever kind of way you want to label it. But that's essentially what you did. Mm -hmm. And literally seven days later, I'm telling you that there was nothing to worry about. They're telling you that you have a diagnosis of breast cancer. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what happened. And it, it's, it's just like, it amazes, amazes me just to go back and think about it because, you know, it, it's like everybody else, oh, don't worry about your age, you're all good. Like, and then out of the sudden you get this diagnosis and then your life changes in a second. One million doctors. You have, like, I had like four or five dif different doctors in my medical, you know, team 
that was I had to see them often to learn more about, you know, the diagnosis and go like my life changed from overnight, seriously, because I had one million things to do at work and I was pulled into one million directions. So I was stressed out. And then all of a sudden I have to drop everything I was doing at work to go to these appointments. And they, when they, once you found out what you have, it's almost like you, you walk around with a dark cloud in your head because it's, it's, I don't know what I have. I don't know what type it is. I don't know if it has a spread. You don't know anything. So you have to mm. go to, to all these doctors and do a bunch of exams and try to figure it out, you know, try to find the answers before you even get surgery. So I just had to drop everything at work overnight and go to these appointments. And sometimes it would last an hour. Sometimes it would last two. Sometimes some exams, I would be there for like three hours. So it's just like change your, your perspective completely. Because one day you are this go-to, I'll do, you know, all sorts of things at work. And the other day it's like... Um, I actually need to take the time off to go to an appointment and, you know, your, your perspective and in your priority shifts. And, and it's like, what I like to say is your body, you know, if you don't take care of yourself and you don't listen to your body, your body is going to force you to take an inconvenient break in a time that is very inconvenient for you, which was the case for me. Do you think that by that health diagnosis and you advocating for yourself in the health space, do you think that then gave you the confidence to start advocating for yourself in the workplace, which you weren't doing before? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was doing a little bit because I was learning more and trying to speak up in minutes. But every time I tried, I'll be real here, I would be, my ideas and my thoughts would be, shut down like basically like oh yeah like we we're listening to you you're seeing and heard but not really (laughs) you know what I mean it's just like you know and and I tried you know I was already trying to kind of make work work for me but at the same time it's like it it takes a village and I would say the self-advocacy situation doesn't happen overnight you know And, and the best part, and you know, being sarcastic here, is that I didn't stop working. <laughs> I kept going. I kept working because at that time, I still, I still had that limiting belief that work needed me. So I had to be there no matter what. So I'm guessing that you don't believe that anymore. Oh, that no. work needs you. Absolutely not. Today, like what I do is to help people you know, get away from this limiting belief because corporations can pretty much get rid of you anytime they want for no reason whatsoever. So no, no, absolutely not. How are you now? I mean, I am doing well. Um, I still have to get scans, you know, MRIs, mammograms and all these different things because of my age. And I, I still take medication. I'm, I'm, I'm well, I'm well, you know, health wise, but every time I have to get those tests, you know, to, to continue to check and make sure that I'm okay, it's nerve wracking. I won't lie to you because it, it always comes back. It's almost like you go to the exact same processes in the exact same facilities, which means 
whenever you know something doesn't come like it happened to me this year that something didn't show you know something showed in the scan and it's like oh here we are again so it's always in the back of your mind so i feel like i needed this awareness like i i needed this shake up to really start advocating more for myself in the workplace and for my health that has been life-changing for me so how do you approach life now I want to do things on my terms and I try to do to make the best of it, meaning I do the things I love. I do the things I like. I'm very active at the gym. You know, I, I go a couple times a week. I dance. I talk to people. I, you know, I, I'm just trying to live the life that I didn't, that I wasn't able to live before, because before I had no self-care, I would not go to a gym. You know, I didn't have the time. I didn't, you know, didn't have relationships. It was just like work was, you know, the, the one and only thing in my life. So now I, I have changed that. I became, you know, more into health and, an advocate for not just myself, but also try to help people to advocate for themselves. That is a skill that can have so many different advantages, being able to advocate for yourself with your friends and your family, mm -hmm. at work, just generally in society when, you know, perhaps you're not getting the treatment that you should be getting. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's definitely a skill that is in demand, I think, you know, for us to be able to, as you say, make work work for us. I do like that phrase, actually. You you touched on dancing. I know that you mm -hmm. are a Zumba instructor. Yeah, so Zumba came into my life when I first moved to the US. Uh, I didn't have any money, but I decided to go to a gym just to kind of take one free class. And there was this Colombian instructor and I met her and she right there, she told me, why don't you become a Zumba instructor? And I was like, oh, okay, you know, that's awesome. But it's like, like I said, I didn't have any money. I was, you know, trying to navigate the, the job market and all that. So I just kind of left that behind. But then uh, in 2020, before, you know, the, the pandemic, I was going through a cancer, you know, group. I was going through treatments and all that. And somebody suggested um, a Zumba class. They were like, oh, there's this Brazilian instructor. I think, you know, you should just show up to her class. And I did. And I fell in love with it all over again. And, you know, of course, you know, after the pandemic in 2021, we were able to go back to the gym. And since then, I've been going to, you know, Zumba classes a couple of times a week. I also take, you know, hip hop and some other type of dance classes because, so I believe dance is my natural talent. I love to dance. I I grew up like dancing in a tiny living room, you know, and then tried to make those moves and stuff. And it's one of those things that brings me so much joy and something that I want to keep in my life like forever. You know, I, I just I'm happy when I'm there. I'm, it gives me that sense of community that sometimes I don't have outside of the class because it's so diverse. There's people from all over the world. We're dancing to multiple, you know, music in multiple languages. And it gives us that sense of belonging when you're all together that some of us, including myself, sometimes we don't have that outside of that group class. 
So it's it's been life changing for me. You know, yes, I became an instructor uh, in October. It was actually around the time, you know, when I had my first mammogram, which was like, yes, this is marking, you know, three years ago. And I was, you know, like, I don't know when I when I had my first mammogram. And now three, you know, three years forward, I'm here getting a Zuma certification. So, yeah, that was incredible. What's the final message thinking back on growing up in Brazil you know, as a shy young girl, really focused on pleasing others and moving Mm -hmm. towards a place of not being selfless and sick, but being assertive and healthy, as Mm -hmm. I know that that's a phrase that that you've used before. Is there one message that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Yes. So yeah, I like to say I went from selfless and sick to assertive and healthy, because this is really true. And assertiveness It's not, you're not being rude. You're just learning how to communicate. You can be very calm when you are being assertive. But, you know, what what I want to say is your past is not a predictor of your future. You can change your life, career. You know, you, you can achieve your dreams. You can advocate for yourself. Learn the tools. You start those conversations little by little. And, you know, that's how you build confidence. You need to show up for yourself. Sometimes showing up for yourself doesn't mean that you're going to have confidence right away. To this day, I show up for myself in times when I have butterflies in my stomach, like I'm, I'm nervous, but I'm there. And that's how you build confidence little by little to continue to advocate for yourself, advocate for your health, because self-advocacy saved my life. Is a perfect message to end on, Anna. I'm so pleased you were able to share your story where can people connect with you online? So I'm always on LinkedIn. So find me on LinkedIn or go to my website. I have some free resources there. It's Anna Gaynor is my name. And on LinkedIn, same Anna Gaynor. Find me there and connect with me. Thank you for joining me on Stories That Connect Us. Until next time, take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. way to kick off the new season in 2023 with such a touching story. One thing I've taken away from Anna is that we shouldn't be afraid to trust our inner knowing, our intuition. Anna knew her body and she could sense that something wasn't right. She chose to listen and spoke out when she was being shut down. Thank goodness she did. Before I sign out, today's health-related story is based on Anna's own personal experience. It isn't a replacement for medical advice. Thanks for giving me your time today. I've got one simple ask for you, my lovely listeners. Self-advocacy can be a lifesaver. Please share this episode with someone in your network who you feel could benefit. See you on the next one when I'll be back with another guest. Don't forget, smash that follow or subscribe button.